we have uh, an exciting uh, thing that we're doing. Well, I'm just preaching a sermon, but it's an exciting part of the Bible. Um, so if you've been in church for some length of time, maybe you've heard of this, this chapter. It's called kind of the Faith Hall of Fame is kind of a name that people have given it. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It is just full of, um, of names of people in the Bible who had faith. And we're going to talk about what faith is. And so um, the scripture will be behind us since we believe the Bible is God's word. We always uh, want to encourage you to have it open in your lap just to get continually familiar with it. Uh, Hebrews 11 is on page 1191, um, way back in the New Testament towards the back of the New Testament there, page 1191, the Red Pew Bible. I hope that you've uh, uh, enjoyed our time in the book of Hebrews, I hope that you come to the conclusion that Jesus is amazing, that he is wonderful, that he is better, that he loves us, that we can draw near to him through the spirit of God, that he has given us access to God. Um, so, and I hope you've, if you, if you've caught the theme of, of persevering. This is, again, a book written to a church that needed to hear that. They were being persecuted. This was a really hard time in church history. And um, a lot of this was written for the sake of them, that they would know uh, how to really just stick it out through a really hard and difficult season in their life. We've heard lots of warnings about, you know, uh, falling away from Christ when things get hard and how we we shouldn't fall away, right? So you can listen to all those sermons if you need to catch up, but we're kind of on the home stretch, just a few more chapters left. And we're going to spend about three weeks talking about faith. Um, this chapter, okay, is like the Shakespeare chapter of the Bible, okay? In its original language, it's, almost everybody agrees, it is a masterpiece of literary just art. The way it's written, it's argument, the way it kind of crescendos towards the end. Um, and so our English kind of represents that, but um, it is a, a precious an amazing chapter, and I'm really excited to, to journey through it with you guys. Um, I, I, um, I, we get to ex I think we get to experience it together, as we're going to see. So um, let's begin. I'm going to say it off the get-go, that whatever your understanding of faith is, I, I'm sure it's not wrong, I'm not going to say that, but there's a good chance, just like mine, I mean, until fairly recent times, like, hopefully we're going to walk away with some more umph in our understanding of faith. And so I'm really excited about this. Let's look into this. Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through three. This is the word of the Lord. It is behind us and in your Bible in front of you. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So, um, yeah, I talk about it often, you know, how um, translations into English, you know, the Bible was not written in English, it did not come out of America, right? It came out of a very different part of the world and in a different language that's actually dead, really, that nobody really uh, uses anymore, so... Um, if anybody is bilingual in this room, you know that you, it's really hard to get from one language to another perfectly, you know? It, it's not easy to do. 
And so when you see the words, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, that's, that's one way we could translate this. But here's, I, I think that that kind of seems to uh, talk about faith and hope that's perhaps just tinged with doubt. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, in, in the house we, we just sold, um, our kitchen drawers were falling apart. I would pull it open and the whole front would come off and the drawer wouldn't even move. It was like, oh, and it kept happening. And we were like, what do we do? Um, and I had the bright idea that I suggested to my wife, instead of hiring somebody to build a kitchen drawers, guess who was going to give it a shot? You know, I, I bought a table saw, I learned how to do dado cuts and just all this stuff. And I was like, honey, I want to do this. It's going to be all, I'm going to save so much money and I get to learn how to do this. And her response, okay, honey, I hope it all goes well. <laughs> and that's, I think when you see this, this translation here, like it may come across like that. Like faith is being sure what we hope for. Like I hope the things that we believe, we've heard all about Jesus. I, like I hope they're true. I want to be sure of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like kind of a, a common way we, we, we speak of faith, like this mental exercise. You know, it's like you, you have um, in your mind, maybe there's doubt, but then you switch the doubt off and turn the faith switch on and say, no, I believe now, you know, and that's real. Like there's moments in the Bible when people did that. Like you see the thief on the cross right before he dies next to Christ. Just remember me in the kingdom, please. Just remember me. That's all that he says. And Jesus says, yes, you will be with me in paradise. He did cast his faith on Jesus. He switched that doubt switch off and he gave his faith in Christ. And yes, he was with Jesus when it was, that's not wrong. But there's another possibility that almost most Bible nerds would say should be reflecting in our, and some translations do reflect it, um, I'm not trying to get too nerdy, but you know that I do get nerdy sometimes. Um, there is, if you have the King James or the New Living Translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they are kind of reflecting of a lot of the new work that the nerds are doing out there to try to understand how to get this old Bible into English. And there's some unique words that are being used. It won't go super deep into what those words are that are behind that word um, assurance are being sure of what we hope for and certain. There's some really unique words that are not often used in the entire New Testament. And people are like, why did he use those words? And so here's the translation that I believe, you know, is the correct one. New Living Translation. See the difference here, okay? Pay attention. I hope you're awake this morning. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see, okay? Now, it's a little different for being sure of what we hope for. Rather, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. If you want to know why, I believe it's a better translation. I'll talk to you in the hallway, whatever the word being used. Faith shows the reality. And I think this is what the author really wants us to understand and what this is trying to bring out from the original language, which is definitely there. Um, is when writer said, faith is an experience of the very reality that we are placing our belief in. Like we, the thing that we're placing our faith in, we get to experience while we put our faith in it. 
right? I believe that God exists. And as we start putting our faith towards God, guess who we begin to experience? God. And that is what is being pulled out of this text. Um, It surfaces evidence, faith does, in our life that what we really believe, that it's real. It starts showing up in our life. Like when we start placing our faith in Jesus and start following him and start acting on our faith that we have in him, things start happening. Things start showing up. And this says, yeah, that's evidence that what you put your faith in that's real. Like, look, it it shows up. And we're about to read for the next three weeks a whole bunch of people and some of their stories, men and women both, that did that and things happened in their life because their faith was in God. Um, so, so here's the best way I can describe this. Um, I've said it before, one of our, my wife and I's favorite place is uh, Winter Tour. We're members, we go there all the time. And um, the gardens, I think they're just like, if we could see what heaven might be like on earth, like, it's an amazing place, right? But if you go there in December or January, it's like everywhere else. Everything's bare, it's gloomy, it's cold and brown, and all the trees are bare, but something happens in early February that kind of just pops out of the ground. They're so small that you could step on them if you're not paying attention. I actually have some in my front yard, and this is a picture that I actually took um, at Winter Tour. You might know what these are? Snowdrops. Now, this is the dead of a winter, and look what's coming out of the ground. Something green with a flower on it. Now, when you see that, and you know, everything else just looks cold and gloomy and dark and bare. It's like a little evidence. Like, you know, spring is real. Like, it's real. Like, you remember the warmth? It's like sometimes you feel like in winter you forget. It's like, could it ever be like warm again and green? Could the trees really ever have leaves? And you see the snowdrops and you're like, oh yeah, they can. Like spring is coming. There's a little flower on the ground, right? When you see that barren landscape, but you see that little snowdrop, you're reminded that something, the, the spring is coming and that it's real. When we cast our faith in Jesus, right, there's a whole reality out there. We're going to talk about this, where God is that we can't see. It's unseen, but it's more real than even our reality. It's more real than what we see even here. And that's where all of our hope is tied up, where Jesus is, where he is moving, where he is acting on our behalf. And when our faith is there, it's like that snowdrop, the reality of that place where God is starts showing up in the winter of this barren earth. And we're reminded, he loves me and he's real. Jesus really did open up access to God. He really does love me and he starts showing up. This, this whole chapter is, like I said, people call it the, the, the Hall of Fame chapter, the Faith Hall of Fame. Men and women who had faith. Now, before we even get there, we're going to see this. I'll mention it from time to time as it will pick up often later. You might be thinking, oh, this sounds great. Like, I'm sure this chapter is full of just a bunch of like Billy Graham's and Mother Teresa's. They don't really have any dirt on them, and they're super holy people. And, you know, I'm here, I'm reading the Bible, like I want to be like that. That sounds great, but, you know, this is probably unrelatable. Like, I'll never be able to get there. Um, I want to tell you that this, this list of people, it's a list of murderers, adulterers, 
Cheaters, liars, um, the list goes on and on. This life we're talking about is available to all of us. And what we're going to see are moments, really important moments in their life when they had faith in God and they were walking with him, but something really important happened and they made a decision in their will, a choice to say, I'm going to react towards God in faith in this moment. I'm going to respond to the faith that I have. And as they do that, God shows up. And these are a bunch of broken people just like we are. So I hope that's encouraging as we talk about faith because I want you to know it's not unavailable for you. You don't have to be a Billy Graham to experience God in your life. Jesus has opened all this up for us, what the whole, the whole first 10 chapters have been about. And it's available for us. So, um, uh, they're just... Um, I'm just completely off my notes. I don't even know where I am. Um, these, these Christians that we're writing to, you know, just to kind of give this further, deeper context, right? Um, these are Christians who were being thrown in prison. They were having their property plundered. Um, many of them uh, even had their blood, uh, well, I guess not quite in this church. Their blood had not been quite shed, but it was getting very close to people actually dying for Christ in this church. We'll see that in chapter 13. And so really what this is, if you understand the, 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 the audience that was hearing this for the first time, the idea was, if you remember last week, we talked about there was a season in this church when, when people were responding to their hardships in an amazing way. We talked about briefly how um, uh, their property was getting plundered because they were followers of Jesus. Only someone with an incredible faith that through his spirit, God showed up in their life, gave them the response that was mentioned that said, you know, I have a greater inheritance in the future. Take my stuff whatever. I have something far greater in Christ. Now that kind of response, friends, it's that snowdrop of heaven, if you will, that their faith, they acted on it, they responded, and they experienced a contentment and a joy that is otherworldly, that is not from their own selves, that is from God, that is from his place, and it showed up in their life, and that is a result of faith. The ancients, he says in verse 2, were commended for having this faith. All right, so how are we doing? We're, everybody's tracking so far? Like we're keeping up? We're good? No? Okay, great. All right. Let's go in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So what is seen was not made of what was visible. All right, so... We're alive in 2024. We have a worldview. All of you have a certain way you think about the world. Uh, if you went to school, college, whatever, um, let's just try to get our brains into the way that the authors of Scripture understood reality, because it's very important for us to understand this verse, okay? Look around at everything that is seen, okay? This world we're living in, the stuff that surrounds us, the, the seen place. I want you to consider that everything that exists in like material form, matter, you know, trees, life, every, everything that exists, where did it come from? It came out of what was not visible. It came out of 
nothing. It was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It was made out of nothing by merely God's spoken world. What we can call reality, in other words, just came out of God's reality. And what that means for us as Christians is God's place, God's reality, what is, you know, uh, one of my favorite Bible uh, uh, scholars, Michael Heiser, he just passed away, He's, he called it the unseen realm, right, where God is, where the angels are, where he is speaking and moving. We don't often see this place, we scarcely do, but that is a place where our hope and faith is directed towards That is the place that God brought all things into existence from, right? Out of nothing came something. Uh, This is why Paul over and over would say things like in Colossians, he'd say, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. What he's talking about is set your mind on the heavenly realities where God is. Because that's where your hope is. That's where your faith lies. That's where you're going upon death. And that is what Christ is bringing to this earth when he makes all things new. Set your mind there, not on things that are perishing. This world is fallen. You can read that story in Genesis chapter 3. This beautiful world God made is now uh, cursed and is full of sin. He's seeking to remake it. But right now, our hope is not set on this world that is destined to perish, but rather set on heaven where God is. That is what, I mean, by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We as Christians believe in the extra dimension of reality. We really do. And that reality is not visible. But that is where our hope and faith is tied up. So this is the best way I can describe it. It's like if, if you brought a child to, you know, see Romeo and Juliet, like a live play, Shakespeare, right? And at the end, as we, I think all of us would know, right, you have Romeo and Juliet and they both, they're dead, right? And as a kid, and they actually tell you for kids to be careful, like, what movies they watch because they have a hard time discerning, you know, this is acting versus reality. So it'd be like a kid watching a play and seeing them die and just being horrified and having no real understanding of like, this is a play until you grab them and said, hey, the guy who played Romeo is Bob and in like five minutes the curtain closes, he'll put on blue jeans and take a nap. Like he's married and has two kids. He's not, like he's not Romeo, you know? You have to explain this to a kid and the idea would be that there is a reality happening on that stage but there is a much larger reality around it that is above and bigger and beyond what is happening on that stage. And that's how we got to think about our life in Christ, friends. That's how we must think about God in us and God around us as followers of Jesus. His place is so much more real than our place and it's invading into our life when we have faith in him and we're acting on it. All right, so there's uh, three people now that we're going to look at. Three people who, if we can say, um, experience these little snowdrops of heaven to appear in the winter of their life. And this is uh, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Um, so uh, there's three ways we're going to look at briefly that, uh, that they experienced um, in their own lives, in their own stories, when they acted on their faith. Uh, Faith in worship, faith in obedience, and also faith in taking God for his word. So we're going to briefly look at these 
three men. There's a whole much more stories to come the next couple of weeks. So first, let's look at verse four. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. So here's the full story, all right? Genesis chapter four, early, early on in our Bibles. Okay, then we'll just read the story, okay? This is after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They, um, she is a mother of all that is living. Uh, started having children, multiplying as God asked her to do. And um, she bore Cain in verse two. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first, uh, an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So Abel offered the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock, and Cain just gave some food portions. Now, there's not a lot of details, but it's clear if you read the Genesis verses there that there's a little more description given of Abel's offering, right? Um, He's he's described as... um, um, uh, an offering uh, of the, the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions while there was just fruit of the ground for Cain, okay? Um, and I think the best way we can understand what's going on is there is a little more of a sincerity given. It's a bit more of a sincerity. We know later in Scripture, you know, that it's not so much what you give God as the heart behind it. We have the widow in the New Testament who gave a little penny um, to is an offering to God and the, and the really wealthy people writing massive checks and Jesus says this woman's heart she gave all that she had these people who are writing the big checks their heart's completely far from me and she's in the right you know so it's not so much like what was given but clearly as we see later Cain's heart was very distant from God so we can assume that Abel gave an actual like sincere offering to God And I want to draw something out of this that's, I think, important. Abel's faith in the unseen God, as the author says, is the cause of his better sacrifice. It led him to something costly that he gave to God. Um, It led him to something costly that he gave to God. Now, God wants the faith of your heart that certainly leads to a hunger for this kind of thing, like a desire to act on your faith that says, Lord, you've done so much for me. I want to give something to you. You think of how scarce whenever Abel was alive in some ancient, ancient, you know, primordial times, like food would not have been at your local Costco in abundance if you just had a few bucks, right? This would have been scarce. So we need to understand that an offering like this given to God was incredibly expensive. It'd be like me going to the grocery store with getting enough food for like all six of my kids, which I don't even want to tell you how much money that costs these days. And then just like giving all that over to God. Like that's a lot. And we need to understand that that's the heart that Abel shows here. Abel's faith led him to worship God. It brought him outside of himself that said this, this firstborn, this is like food for the year, the very first one, but 
God, you're so worthy to me. You're so valuable to me. I believe in you, and I'm going to give you the most valuable thing I have, which is a firstborn from my flock. Faith leads us to worship. And I must say, life gets tremendously better when we do that, when we allow our faith to lead us to worship of God. Now, let me define that. Things didn't go well for Abel, if you know the story. Um, He was murdered by his brother Cain. Funny story, in a grocery store line once, my son Abel, he heard me say his name, and the guy behind me said, this is funny, my name is Cain. He pulls out his driver's license, and literally it was K-A-N-E. And I was like, why don't you find a new line to go check out in and get away from my son? It's a true story. But things didn't go well for Abel, right? So I'm not saying that life will be hunky-dory if we live a life of worship that is coming out of our faith in him. But the things that we go through, the hardships that we experience, that becomes something that we're given strength to actually face. Those things were giving things like, like joy and, and peace and, and, a, and a faith that's, that, that, that squashes our anxieties and our, and our worries or frustrations or things that feel just outside of our control. When we bring them to God and say, Lord, you are worthy. You are the sovereign one. I believe you know all things. I give these things over to you, Lord. Take, take me, Lord. When we worship him in that way, the burden of those things begins to be lifted. And we're given strength to face them. We're given the wisdom we need to face them. And oftentimes, yes, we do see God intervene to begin changing and bringing healing to some of these areas in our life. Um, this is that struggle we're talking about there of, of in those times, the Psalms are full of examples of this. Um, but Psalm 42 speaks of this. Psalm 42 verses five through six says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You know, Cain, it says his face was fallen. He was angry. You can read that story of how he wrestled with that. You know, he, there was the decision Cain could have made. God told him, you know, what you're feeling right now is not directed towards me. It's what Paul would have said, a fleshly thing going on. You're feeling anger that is not from God's space. That is not from God. That is from him. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to master you. And he was kind of giving Cain like an option, a choice. So he's saying, what decision will you make here? Right? Will you let this master you? Or are you going to cast this on me in your faith? And in Psalm 42 here, the turn happens. He's cast down. He's going through something hard, but hope in God. For I shall again, what? Praise him. Worship. I shall praise him. My soul is cast down, but I am choosing to worship him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon, from Mount Mazar and all the land. He's saying, I remember everything you've done in all of this place, Lord. I give my worship to you. So that's a brief little glimpse in Abel, right, that led him to worship God from his faith. Another brief example comes from Enoch, a really interesting figure. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now again, this is written for followers of Jesus here. This this is aimed at a church that is committed to following God. And speaking of this man, Enoch, who pleased God. And he says, this is what Genesis 5 literally reads. I I can read this from behind us in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Um, This has taken place right after Cain and Abel's story. There's a big, long, one of the most, you know, exciting chapters in the Bible. So-and-so lived and -and so-and-so died. So-and-so lived and -and so-and-so died. And you keep reading this genealogies, the most exciting parts, right? Until the middle of all this death, right? Because that's what God said was the curse that came out of sin was death in Genesis chapter 3. And, and so you see all this death, but there's a hope because somebody, right in the middle of all this long list of all this death, look what happens. When Enoch lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. In the middle of death, somebody didn't die. Now that's some hope for these early readers of the Bible, but God took him. And it describes Enoch's relationship with God as one that he, he walked with God. Like when he was walking, God was with him. He had God at his side as he walked. And the, uh, the author of Hebrews takes a little, like, liberty, a little freedom here, because the word faith is not in Genesis, but he says, well, if somebody's walking with God, if somebody's pleasing God, that's impossible without faith. That's impossible without faith, because number one, those with faith believe that God exists. You can't walk with God if you don't believe he exists. Again, he's not visible, Right? Very few people in scriptures had this, an actual vision of God. I and mean, this is a sermon for a different day, but God is not visible. But believing that he is real is a first step towards walking with him. And secondly, those who walk with God receive a reward. Enoch's rather dramatic reward was being taken away. Only two people in the Bible skipped death. That was Enoch and Elijah. Um, and that was Enoch's reward. We don't talk about rewards often as, as something, uh, or maybe we, we should because it's all over the Bible. Um, a lot of my background training, uh, I wasn't really given a lot of uh, uh, ways to understand rewards. Jesus taught a lot about rewards um, as, as, uh, in, the, in the context of Hebrews. This, this comes from those who were acting on their faith, acting on their belief in God. And he says, God wants to reward those who seek him. So Matthew, from Jesus' own lips, this is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me. He's talking to his disciples. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, more or less, probably he was speaking of children. Whoever gives one of these little ones, or maybe, you know, brand new followers of him, or just, you know, there's some disagreement, whatever, but... Whoever gives these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. 
When I spoke of the faith as being accessible to us all, I have a question. Who is able to hand a cup of cold water to somebody? Raise your hand. Some of you can't, really. I think you probably can, right? Um, That's a simple act. That is super accessible for all of you, okay? You can get a cup of cold water and hand it to somebody. Jesus says, anybody who does that, there's a reward for you. Like from God, like he wants to reward you. So some of this, I want you to understand if you're thinking, oh, this faith and acting on it, like it sounds so high and lofty and I'm just like Joe Schmo right here and living the life I'm living and I want this. And Jesus just says, can you hand a cup of cold water to serve somebody? That's great. Do it. There's a reward in that. This stuff is accessible to us. But this whole reward conversation Again, that can be a sermon for another time. It is not the reason why, the only reason why we act on our faith towards God, right? That is not the only reason because if having a relationship with God through Christ is what's available to us, um, if we are Christians in this room, um, if it's a relationship, well, I don't treat my friendships that way. Like I moved recently and a lot of you helped me move. Nobody, when I called to say, hey, can you help me move? Not one person said, all right, but what's in it for me? I would have been like, okay, I'll call somebody else. Like, you know, I don't, you know, this kind of a, it would feel like a poor response. Like if you're serving God and you want to act on your faith in God and say, all right, God, I'm doing this. So I don't know what's in it for me. Like what you got? Now, of course, people showed up to my house to help me move. I did give them pizza because I was thankful because I loved them and I was really appreciative of that, right? That had a relationship with the people who helped to serve me. So, of course, I gave them pizza. I wish I could give them more. So, if I, you know, gave them pizza just for being there, do you think of, when we think of the love of God for us, And how the scripture says, you know, he is a good father who loves to give gifts to his children. I don't think we comprehend, we can fathom the love of God towards you as his child. I don't think we can. And when we start responding to him in faith and and, and living out our faith based on what we can't see in his place, I am living for you, I'm living for, for you, God, just like Enoch did, we will experience his blessings in our life. We will. Because our father loves to give good gifts to his children. That's the point that the author wants to draw out here. He rewards those who walk with him by faith. And lastly, faith in God's word. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So if you know the story, right, you have Noah, who was warned about a flood that was coming. The tricky part is, nobody's ever seen a flood before. You know, this is really ancient times when the earth was just different. And so this whole event that was told to him, there was no, like, comprehension of what was happening. All God said was, you need to build a boat, because I'm wiping out everything, and this water's going to come, but I want you to build a boat. And um, I'm going to save you and your family and kind of, you know, start over, if you will. You can read this in, in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and uh, 9. And so what did Noah do? He heard God's word. 
Now again, he had a choice. Okay, he's described as a righteous and blameless man in Genesis. He had a decision. He believed God. He had faith in God, we presume here, as the author tells us. And was he going to act on it? God spoke to him, told him to go and get busy doing this. What was going to be his response? Was he going to listen and take that word and react to it? And Noah did all through faith. Now, you you can imagine as he's building this ark, all the people around him probably assumed he was nuts and crazy, right? But he is actually called a herald of righteousness in, in Peter's letter because even his response and obedience to God served as a way that he was preaching about God and what he was going to do to those around him just as it does in our life. When our faith is in him and we read his words and we say, Lord, I want to believe the things that you say and not just give mental, just agreement to them, but I want to actually act on them. I want, when Jesus says, you know, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that unseen place, Lord, I want your will and that unseen place in heaven to come through as those little snowdrops in this wintry earth. Now, I want it to show up, Lord, I want to live according to your will, live according to your word. And as we allow ourselves to be transformed by his word, just as Noah did, it serves as a way that people around us, will, they will see what's going on, right? They will see what's going on. And um, it, it says that his faith in Noah's case, people didn't believe him, so he condemned the world. People thought he was crazy and they didn't listen to him. And they, um, they received what was coming for them. And so those around us will see our faith and it will serve as a way to give testimony to who God is, the power that can come. Um, uh, into this world through those with faith as we are transformed by him. Um, By the way, just one more recollection here. All this is not a call to be perfect because you know what happened when Noah got off the ark? He got really drunk and passed out naked in his tent. It's there in the scriptures. I'm not making it up. He is a fallen person who did something really stupid right after God worked mightily through him but he still is known as a man of faith. I'm not saying to go and do what Noah did in that instance. What I'm saying is that he is a struggling human being just like you and I, and he still was used by God for his incredible faith. None of you in this room are too far gone to experience what we see in Hebrews 11. So as we, on the back end of this, I wanna just end with this note. All right, we have a lot more stories to work through in the rest of Hebrews 11. I'm really excited to Abraham and all of these wonderful people. Um, faith can truly transform your life. And if you're here saying, you know, this sounds amazing. Like, I, I want to experience this. You can experience faith. You have faith, but when you're, when you're acting out on it and the things of heaven start showing up in your life in and through, you can begin experiencing faith. The question might be, well, how much faith? That's a common question. Like, where does this start? Like, how much faith do I need? Do I need to sit here and just like kind of grip my teeth in my hands and believe harder? Like, I just got to believe harder. I want to I experience God, yes, and, and the blessings. And yeah, I want to experience this. Oh, I want to believe harder. Um, there may be some of that, you know, to some degree. But I want to read you something that I hope is also encouraging from the mouth of Jesus. 
Matthew 17, verse 20. He said to them, this is in context, you can read it on your own, because of your little faith, he says, truly I say to you, if you have the faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. How much faith? Mustard seed. You know, the only mustard seed we usually see is at, you know, the grocery store in little canisters that nobody ever buys or uses, right? I guess I, sometimes you do. But um, I'm going to use another uh, metaphor here that I think is helpful to understand just how, how does this start? Like, where does this start in my life, you know? Um, you just need a little faith. There, there's a spice called the saffron spice. Anybody heard of this? It's the world's most expensive spice, okay? 5,000 pounds per pound, all right? It's handmade. It's really hard to get. You know, you can read about it. It's interesting. But thankfully, fortunately, a little bit goes a long way. A small pinch of saffron crushed with some mortar and pestle will season enough food large enough to feed a dozen people, okay? Just a little pinch of that. It it infuses the dishes with this telltale bright yellow color, this heady, earthy. It just transforms the whole dish and leaves both an impression on your palate and your memory and the idea would be this you just need a little faith as you lean into this once again faith shows the reality of what we can hope for it is the evidence of things we cannot see and what do we hope for friends that God loves us that he has offered us salvation that his spirit is available for all who turn from their sins and believe in Jesus, that he has never abandoned you, that he has never forsaken you, that he is with you, that his love can never be separated from you, and that he loves you so much that even now he is walking alongside of you. That is where our hope is tied up. And that this life is not all there is, that when we die, we will be with him forever and ever. And indeed, he is coming again to make all things new. That is where all of our hope is tied up in what is not seen. And so today, all we need is a little faith. And step out, friends. Step out. Um, Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done. I'm so thrilled to work through this chapter for the next couple of weeks. Um, Give us just radical faith as a church, Lord, that can just drive us to do just risky things for you, Lord, because we believe that you're going to show up, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come to Wilmington. We want to be used, Lord. Lord, give us that faith, Lord, just that little faith. And Lord, I pray just for a whole bunch of snowdrops to just pop up in the hearts of all these people in this room, Lord, Little snowdrops from heaven just to remind us, to show us, Lord, that you are real, that your kingdom is indeed coming, that you are breaking into our lives from the unseen place into the seen place, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.